An Argentine woman translates a Midsummer Night's Dream while incessantly taping travel postcards to a wall. An actress in Buenos Aires seduces her colleague while rehearsing a scene for Twelfth Night. A theater troupe kisses and flirts their way through rehearsals of As You Like It inside an Argentine forest. If you're noticing a pattern here, you're not mistaken. From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. Those scenarios I just described are all from the mind and the camera of an Argentine filmmaker named Matias Pinheiro. Born in Buenos Aires and now living in New York, Matias has developed a cycle of films he calls The Shakespeare Reads, all of which are based around the female roles in Shakespeare's comedies. There are currently six films in the series, all ethereal, all beautifully filmed, and all as far away from linear as movies can get. Because here at the Folger, we don't have a problem with what they'd call Ecarse Flores, in Spanish that means tooting your own horn. Because we don't have a problem with that, we'll tell you that the star of one of Matias's films is actually the Folger Shakespeare edition of A Midsummer Night's Dream. But that's not the only reason we're having him on. As you'll hear, Matias Pinheiro is an artist with a unique approach to his work and his craft. He came into a studio near his home recently to help us understand where he's coming from in this podcast that we call To Play a Pleasant Comedy. One note ahead of time for clarity. Throughout the interview, Matias pronounces Folger with a hard G, Folger. I'm mentioning that now because it will help you follow along. Matias Pinheiro is interviewed by Barbara Bogave. There is a lot of Shakespeare in your movies, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're about Shakespeare or about Shakespeare plays. Would you? I mean, h- how do you think about it? Yeah, that, that's usually something... I always say that these are not adaptations. I take some elements from these plays that I'm very attracted to. I'm not someone that comes from theater is something that happens through my contact as a reader of Shakespeare. And and so I this reading and also this this translation that I go through, because I, I'm a Spanish speaker, um, they allow me somehow, at least they allowed me to have this sort of freedom of taking elements in order to make them circulate again and render these films that are not adaptations, but somehow are echoing elements, are the material, are are the, somehow, sometimes I say, like the invisible architecture uh, behind the films. Oh, that's really evocative. And while I watch your movies, I think that you are infusing your films with Shakespeare. They have the the feelings and the the sounds and the smells and some of the words of Shakespeare. How and why did you first start infusing your films with Shakespeare? Um, I've been making movies for more than 10 years, and i always been attracted to text, to literary text. My first movies had to do with a writer from Argentina from 19th century, and when I did those movies, the second one of them, that's called They All Lie, the, the writer is called Domingo Faustino Sarmiento, I decided that in order to make the second feature, I was going to be writing it with two companion readings uh, that had nothing to do with what I wanted to do in the movie at first. One of them is a contemporary writer from uh, Mexico, Mario Bellatin, 
And the other one was Shakespeare, <laughs> that <laughs> I knew Shakespeare, but then how, when was the last time that I sat down to read a Shakespeare play, that it was not in the context of college or uh, high school? So when is it that I came to, that I sat down to read Shakespeare out for pleasure, not for duty? I was looking to have companions that would like help me to structure the film. And I went, I think that I went to Shakespeare as wanting like a sort of like classical structure. So I went through all the plays. I decided to take the folio catalog and, and go one by one <laughs> while I was producing this film. But um, but then what I realized that <laughs> there was nothing too classical in Shakespeare, of course, especially in one of the plays that I was very, very attracted that is As You Like It. You know, that once they go into the forest, uh, hard to keep track of the axe <laughs> and the dramatic <laughs> arts. Sure. Uh -huh. No, like there's nothing classical in that, in a way. Vení, prima, vamos a casarnos, vas a ser de cura. Casarnos, por favor. No me sé las palabras. Tenés que decir, ¿acepta usted Orlando por esposa? Dale. ¿Acepta usted Orlando por esposa, Rosalinda? Sí, acepto. Sí, pero ¿cuándo? Tan pronto como ella nos case. Entonces tenés que decir, yo te tomo, Rosalinda, por esposa. Yo te tomo, Rosalinda, por esposa. <laughs> Debería pedir documento, pero está bien. So for me, it was very interesting that. I went in for a reason, and then I discovered that there was something much richer than what I could think of, and that uh, somehow made it very approachable. I'm picturing you reading all of these plays in a row yeah. while you're trying to make a film, and it makes me wonder... Had you not read that much Shakespeare? You're from Argentina. Is Shakespeare not as much a, a part of school and, and college uh, curricula mm. as it is here in the U.S. and in England? It is. Of course, it's part of the curriculum both in college and in high school. But then it's a different approach because it's something that is not from your country. And of course, it's a classic. So somehow... You, the approach was very much like, ah, look at this, that is so great. So mm. there was something, you know, and, and so there's something of a, a little bit of a glass between you and the play. And they were missing the plays that I actually got very interested in that were the comedies. Another thing that I should say is that when I decided to read the plays, I didn't read them in English. And that was something that was very important because I actually started reading new translations from the editorial house from Latin America that um, how do you say, uh, asked Latin American writers and poets to translate Shakespeare. And these are very special editions of contemporary writers translating Shakespeare without notes. There were no notes. Hmm. It's, uh, and there was, a, of course, like a preface, like a, a, a prologue where they, where they would explain what they decided to do with the play. But it was very interesting for me not to be interrupted, not for the footnotes and not for the Spanish from Spain. That is very different from the Spanish from Argentina. When I read all the plays, I'm, I'm very happy reading the plays. I'm very uh, attracted to them. And okay, like I'm absorbing this. I'm, I'm relating to this. That is very interesting. But it was only when I read As You Like It that it was like, ah, oh, wait a minute. What is this? This is, this is knocking on my door. And you why know? do you think it was knocking on your door? Because of Rosalind. Desde América la India, no hay joya cual Rosalinda. Su virtud del viento guinda clama por doquier Rosalinda. Todas las pinturas más lindas palidecen ante Rosalinda. Que la mente no se rinda, sino el semblante de Rosalinda. When I read As You Like It and I reread every line of Rosalind, I knew that it was interesting to photograph Maria battling with those words. 
Not mm-hmm. against those words, but with the words. It would be photogenic to see her uh, going through those lines. Maravilloso. Qué nefasto. Maravilloso. Maravilloso. Qué nefasto. No. No. Qué nefasto. Qué nefasto. Qué nefasto. No. Maravilloso. The first thing was that connection between character and actress. So it was this very organic feeling that you had between the play and the language and this yeah. actress. And you were reading Shakespeare in Spanish or English? First Spanish, but because I like it, then of course you move and you read it also in English. And same thing with the idea of the footnotes. I like footnotes, but the, it is interesting to experience the play without them. I mean, imagine if you're in the play. Well, it could be an interesting experimental work, but uh, if you're watching, you're in the, at the Globe Theater and all of a sudden they interrupt the thing so that they would explain you something. No, it, it's interesting to go with the flow. Then as I, was, I got interested in the text, I want to know more. And that's when Folger somehow appears in my life, in a way. I think a lot of people feel this way, uh, that the footnotes can be intrusive. You know, it takes you out of the moment and the flow and the drama. Although you were just saying, mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny to hear you felt that way at all because these Folger editions which are usually fully notated on the opposite page of the yeah. text, are kind of the star in your one movie, Hermia and Helena. And you have all these loving visual references to the Folger edition yeah. <laughs> on the screen, and we, we hear the sound of actors playing the scene in Spanish over the English words on the page. <laughs> So what was it about the, the Folger editions that you liked so much? Or was it just the one that happened to land in your, your hands at the time? No, no, no. I had many. I had many, but this is the one that I like. First is this idea that I, then I want footnotes. I, I, I don't think that a game is over only on one, on one take. You know, when you're playing, you want to play again. If you like the play, you want to read it again. If I'm reading it in Spanish, I read it also in the other translations from Spanish. This also might come also from translation that you access a a work, but you know that there's other possibilities. Okay, with the footnotes, it's a little bit similar. I read the, the work, I'm interested, and then, of course, it's not satisfied. So I want to know more. And for that reason, I do want the annotated uh, version. I do want to experience myself reading in a language that is not mine and even in a language that is not the one that I learned in the English Institute. So I'm attracted to that complexity. And I think that footnotes in that sense, the, as I like the idea of flowing, I also like the other one. I do like the interrupted uh, experience. So for me, the first thing that was interesting for me was the layout, as you have mentioned. I think that the idea that it's not down, it's not on the back of the book, the interruption is less and somehow merges a little bit closer with the text in a way. And I, I like how it's written. I like how they choose like a whole phrase to somehow produce a possibility of what that phrase means. That helped me a lot for translating. When I did my own translations, the folder was very important for me to, ah, that's what they want. Ah, this is what is being referred. Ah, so because it's not just like, okay, this is a note for one little thing. No, it's like a full sentence that is somehow deconstruct, explain or or variation. I also liked the moments where they explain the the little plot. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That summary, I really like it sure. because somehow then I'm not 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 stressed by it. 
Right. I'm, I, I'm not in the I'm needing to learn and know everything. There's something about like having notes. Everything can be annotated, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like how they decide to have like notes on this. On I wonder why is it that this other word is not annotated or I don't know. There's many, I think that it opens up the play. You know, it's a, and I don't want to approach it in a way that it becomes flat. It's obscure for us, this text. So I'm, I'm not scared of keeping a little bit of that obscurity. So when I have them saying in Spanish, but the words in English has to do with that, with not erasing the complexity of this text. So that's why you wanted it literally in the film, the book, yeah. to give all these yeah. layers, visual and, I, and layers of meaning. Yeah, and then I work very independently in my films, like with people that are friends that are my producers and my the, uh, the actors. So I like to include in the film everything that I like. It's somehow a document. Even if these films are very fictional, they document like a slice of my life. And that's why if I'm working with this text, with Folger edition, those these are the ones that are going to appear because it's natural. The things that are happening at the back of the behind the camera go in front at the same time. Oh, I love that. It, your films are so organic and that that makes sense now that you say it. Your movies are about actors performing and rehearsing Shakespeare and 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 then their roles and the plays bleed into their lives and and uh, intertwine until in many scenes, it's hard to tell where the Shakespeare stops and the real life starts or vice versa. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, in your film Viola, an actor plays Viola in Twelfth Night and she goes to the house of the actor playing Olivia to rehearse their lines. And in, in the process, it slowly or quickly becomes apparent that she's seducing her fellow actor. And it's all part of a plot that she's hatched with the other actresses in the production. Plantar una choza de sauces a su puerta. Llamaría a la que amo desde adentro de la casa. Escribiría sobre amores despreciados y los cantaría voces en las noches calladas. Al eco de los montes, vocearía su nombre. Y haría que el parloteo murmurante del aire gritaran, Olivia. As I said that I don't come from theater, but because of that very same reason, the cultural center from the public university in Buenos Aires they asked me to do a play. <laughs> it was a series where they would be inviting artists that have never done a play to do their first play. So in my experience in theater, having not come from theater, I, I experienced certain things that were very different from cinema. One of them was the idea of repetition. Mm. The idea of you do the play today and it's like if you would be doing like a one-take sequence, no, like shot in a way. But then next week you have another opportunity for me, it was very curious, that sort of very intense moment at one point, one evening, but then next week being able to do it again. And then all the repetitions that we did, all the rehearsals that we did, the idea of repetition appeared very much. And I decided that that should be part of that film that I've done with Shakespeare's plays. I thought that also when I was reading the plays and I was very much enjoying, uh, I don't know, the lines of Rosalind, for instance, I would read them again. I would repeat the reading experience. It's not that I really like this paragraph. I'm going to continue reading the next uh, line. No, usually I go back and would read it again. So they, I said, how can cinema do that? <laughs> how can cinema, because when I put Shakespeare in the movies, it's because I enjoy it. I enjoy reading Shakespeare. So I would like to share that enjoyment with the audience. And I, I, in my first film in Rosalinda, I didn't repeat. And I, I had that feeling, ah, I, I, I think that I missed that. I, I enjoy those texts so much 
but the film doesn't allow me to hear them again. And I think that you would extract more joy if you repeat them. So I try to think a little bit of a plot in order to make the repetition part of the plot of Viola. Escribiría sobre amores despreciados y los cantaría voces en las noches calladas. Al eco de los montes, vocearía su nombre. Y haría que el parloteo murmurante del aire gritaran Olivia. Al eco de los montes, vocearía su nombre. Haría que el parloteo murmurante del aire gritaran Olivia. Señora, no tendría... Al eco de los montes, vocearía su nombre. Haría que el parloteo murmurante del aire gritaran Olivia. Señora, no tendría usted reposo entre los elementos. Oh, that's wild, because this is the make me a willow cabin at your gate. Uh, scene yeah. and they it's almost like a ballet the way the two actresses they repeat this scene the lines over and over again but in variation and they move around each other and there's an amazing rhythm going on and so you're really you're really enjoying what everything you're, yeah. you're talking about you're enjoying the language but also the seduction and the the repetition and the kind of hypnotic mood that it creates yeah. And movement, no? Movement and time and duration. The shot, the scene is quite long for a movie that is short. And then also the idea that you would see them getting tired. This is, I don't know if you see that a lot in movies, that when you see that the actors actually get tired because it's been like five minutes that the shot is going on. And so after repeating like for the eighth time the line, it's not the character only, it's also the person and the body that is expressing itself. So there was something of that that I, I was interested in and I know them very well and we like to work a lot with the actors. So I think that they also enjoy a lot saying those texts and I think that the camera can capture that. Yeah, and and you do this in many of your films. That you seem to hone in on this uh, one scene or, or certain lines and they're repeated over and over again and you get different takes on them. And you're always working with this same ensemble of actors. And it made me think there's probably no better real-life parallel to Shakespeare comedies than theater troupes, you know, where everyone's crushing yeah. on each other and sleeping around <laughs> and switching partners, <laughs> or, or except maybe eighth grade, because it, it happens so yeah. fast. Everyone's yeah. uh, trading best friends or trading yes. crushes. Um, yeah. And also, just like junior high, the women are so much more interesting and sophisticated than the doltish boys. Let's go to your house. No? No, it's okay. I guess so. But what is secret? What secret? The FIFA dress in your book. The men hardly even speak that much in your films. How long will you be staying here? As long as you want to. What about Buenos Aires? Well... There will be some paperwork in the middle, but I could do it. We could get married. Why not? We can get married here and then in Buenos Aires. I like the, act, the male actors that I work with, and I think that they're very good. But there's a tendency that I'm more attracted to these friends, these female friends that I have, and I'm closer to them. And there's something of a continuity between me and them that is smoother. And also, I think that that's like a strange triangle with the comedies. That's why I'm not doing that. I'm not particularly interested in the tragedies. I'm not even interested in the fools. That you no, know, if I'm interested in comedy, I, w I might be interested in the fools, but I'm not even interested in them, even though they're very good. But someone else can do something with them. Not, I don't need to do it myself. You're not interested uh, because me, was, you don't know what you do with them in a film? Yeah. 
yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with them. I feel that I, I know what I can do with Beatrice, for instance, in Much Ado About Nothing. And I'm thinking of this friend of mine, Elisa, that is a very good actress. I think that she could be a very good Beatrice. And I, there's a tension there in the kissing, not kissing, these dialogues that are like little knives. Uh, I can do so. I feel that I can do something with that. I, there's something that connects with me, with my heartbeat, with my tensions, with my worries about love and desire that, for instance, the wise irony of the fool, even though I can appreciate it, I don't know if I can do something with it. Mm. Um, so I don't know, for me, there's an elasticity that I appreciate better. I'm now working also with um, Tempest. No, of course, it's Prospero the, the, or, or Caliban, the, but I decided to work around Sicorax. Sabes bien que Sicorax, esa maldita bruja, fue expulsada de Argel a causa de mil infamias y embrujos demasiado horribles para el oído humano. It was interesting for me to think even outside of the play. It's it's a, it's the prequel. No, the movie that I did with my friend Lois Patiño, a Spanish filmmaker, we did this sort of a, a prequel to a film that we want to make that is around Tempest. Ariel, mi esclavo, como vos mismo te llamas, fuiste siervo de Sicorax, que al ser tan sensible para cumplir sus órdenes o veces, negándole obediencia, te encerró. The women have such great rapport and play in their interaction in your films. And this is a small thing, but to me, it seems like your movies are full of these women kind of walking through the landscape of cities or walking through uh, or walking mm. in, you know, in the countryside. Mm. There's a lot of your, mm. these women purposefully moving through through space mm. that is somehow really appealing to me. Yeah. And it must be to you that you feel your you feel the transitions or all these women walking somewhere. Yeah, there's something I enjoy very much for instance in, in Isabella that is a film that it's taking elements from Measure for Measure and it's about two actors uh, auditioning for the same role for the role of Isabella and there's one that seems to be like with better chances or with a with an energy that seems more like a uh, how do you say, inevitable, while the other one doesn't. And I thought that those moments where she was walking so confidently in the street, in a very peculiar street in Buenos Aires, that is the one where all the cars and where you would go to buy the wheels and fix your engine, you know, this a very male. Yeah, it's very industrial. Very industrial. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. and I like that this female body would be like sliding through it, you know, like going through it to meet her destiny, that is to get the role. <laughs> I huh. there's something about her way of walking that is a little bit like a, I don't know how you would say like cockish, <laughs> no like a little bit like a, very sure of herself. Yeah, she that strides. Me, yes. Yeah, she's Purposely. going there. She's not like uh, swift uh, drifting. Mm -hmm. uh, that for me it was like a motif that it was interesting to have all through the movie. That that shot that, that those shots are all cut all through the movie because Isabel is very fragmented, and I liked it. It's a tone. It's a movement. No, I, I mentioned before also, and you mentioned this idea of like the mise-en-scene and the movement and how they move, how it's like a choreography. Well, there's something about like the way that I'm shooting the people walk that, that also had to do with this larger idea of choreography. And also I like to shoot the city without having to be, um, how do you say, like a postcard. Mm. So we walk in this. How do we experience the city? We don't experience the city sitting down. We we walk through it. We take the subway. We're in a cab. We're talking with a friend. We're going in an elevator. Uh, we're movement, no? Then we can make the exercise of stopping and contemplate. 
you're in movement, you lose track of things, you don't see things clearly, even if you know your city very well. You maybe know the city very well because you walk through it, not because you just uh, see pictures of it. Well, this is probably clear to everyone listening already, but your films aren't linear. And mm. the action can seem to skip all over the timeline, especially in your films, Isabella, and uh, especially Hermia and Helena. Yeah. And you're never watching. You're never quite sure whether you're seeing something that, that's happening immediately after the thing you just saw or whether you're watching something that mm. happened weeks or months before. What compels you to, to play around with time in that way yeah, in your it, stories? Yeah. In these two movies, for me, it was for increasing like a sort of dramatic tension. The movies don't have like a like a super plotted, no? There are things, of course, but I don't like that much clarity in a way. But I do want to make like a sort of emotional thing with them. So, for instance, I thought that in Isabella was nicer to know that the character is not going to get the role and then see her arriving to do the role, to do the audition, than the other way around. For me, it was interesting that the viewer knew, would know beforehand that the character would not get the, the, the role and still she would do it. And still mm. she would do it good or even like having to come to terms with that. For me, it, it was not for plot, but for an emotional element. And in, and in Hermia and Helena, that's a little bit more plotted in a way because you would see her in Buenos Aires and that she would say, oh, I'm going for a residency. And then you see her in New York doing the residency or not doing anything at the residency. And then I'm going to meet my father. And then you would see who this person... It would be like a way of... Um, yeah, like a cubic experience in a way, but with the possibility of enhancing the dramatic unity in a way. Uh, we should say also that there's a leitmotif in, in the film Isabella in which uh, in many scenes someone's rearranging colored squares on the floor and... Mm -hmm also playing, you play with color and colored rectangles mm. and kind of the idea of a set, but you translate it into visual cinematic terms. Um, mm. And all of that reminded me of ways when I have to write an essay outline or, or scenes in a script, you take index cards, different colored index mm. cards, and you move them around and you play with the order of things in order to tell your story. Is, is that what you were thinking of and is that is that how you actually plot out your movies in these last two i would say that yeah so when i start shooting i don't have like the full script of the full movie i do have the script of what i want to shoot in this occasion but i know that i will transform it in regard to what will achieve in that shooting what would be the best in that shooting and what i can do in the next shooting so i really need this sort of like other way of working that is Thinking, writing, shooting, editing, thinking, writing, shooting, and editing like that four times. Mm. So what happened to me at the very, uh, near the end of this process was that I didn't have a script that would say scene one, scene two, scene three. And in that moment is when I decided that I would know that this scene should come before this one and that this scene should come after this one. So I will start combining them like that. And so I decided to take like a, you know, like a screenshot of each shot and have them and print them and cut them and having as cards. So I would display them on the floor of my of my house and create this sort of islands. A crossword puzzle. You know? uh -huh. So I was a little bit like that. I knew that the, the walking should be 
uh, I don't know, next to this, and that the re that the audition should be after this other thing. And I would start doing that, and so areas started to get, uh, how do you say, close to, um, yeah, areas would start to create. Wow, you know? that's a wild process. Is it, Do you gravitate, do you do that because if you had, you know, this very uh, strict outline, if you even put one together, it would kill the creativity for you, in you? I think that it would kill the present tense. I would never, I don't, th I, I think that imagination comes from, like, creating something. <laughs> that you have something, you have an actor, and you write for them. And, and I think that maybe Shakespeare did somehow similarly <laughs> at some points. Uh, that he wrote for people that he knew somehow or or uh, and or for a the or for a space or for whatever but uh, or for certain techniques it's the concrete that sets me in motion i get bored of uh, i think that it's fake if you think that you can control everything so much yeah. you can be like a sort of god figure that says and now this character and then this, i don't know i don't like to work in that sense i like to think a couple of things that are enough and good and strong and go and shoot that and then see what's the best from there and like start knitting again, you know? Because maybe huh. you shoot and it's not that good what you did. So you have to throw it. <laughs> right. So how did the uh, how did using color in interesting ways in the film, as you do sometimes you saturate the whole screen with a color or you have these abstract color block paintings mm. as kind of transition cards between acts mm. You have meditations on colors. The film uh, starts with purple of Isabella. Yeah. What, what were you thinking there? Yeah, I was thinking of the idea of variation and relativity also. First, as this is a movie that is uh, like the fifth on a series of films, these Shakespeare plays, I need things to be repeated. Uh, the actors, the city, the comedies from Shakespeare. But then I need some things to change. So all of a sudden, I decided that I haven't worked too much around color in my films, and I started to be interested in color. I became aware of my interest in color, and I decided to include it. Um, I don't know how much it is in, in English, but in, in one thing that I like a lot in, in, in Spanish, it would be purpura. We never say purpura. We say violet. We say violeta. Hmm. No? And for me, just that uh, language uh, short circuit is interesting. <laughs> And then for me, another thing that was kind of beautiful was that it's not so easy to people to distinguish between mulva, purple, violet, li lilac, and many other words that are very much in our language, but that, that doesn't happen in orange. How many or tints of orange do you know, like different like grades of shades of, of orange do you have that they have like actual words? So it's similar. It's not that I want to do a, a complete metaphor, but, but for me there is a resonance in the way that I work time in Isabella. We don't know when it's now, when was before, when was afterwards. We don't know which shade of purple <laughs> we are. So what's next for you? Is there another Shakespeare movie in the works? Yes, there is one. I said that I work with uh, Lois Patiño, a Spanish filmmaker in Sicorax, and uh, that we work around, we took uh, The Tempest and we work around the character of Sicorax, like Caliban's mother. Uh, but we did this, so we did Sicorax because we want to do Ariel. Ah. <laughs> Ariel is the feature film that we started wanting to do together, but we understood that we needed to do a short film to, uh, to find our common language. 
So in August and September, we're supposed to go back to Azores Islands in Portugal to do aerial. So it's a lot of going around in the island. <laughs> huh. So it's, are you uh, rereading we... and rereading and rereading The Tempest? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I just, uh, I and I also cutting. I'm now, uh, <laughs> last week, actually, I got one of the Folger <laughs> editions and with a cutter, I started dissecting the the <laughs> the play. Literally, um, literally chop it like with scissors, cutting it up. N- yes. Oh, great. Uh huh. <laughs> yes, and I actually po- uh, did like a little book uh, where I stick all the segments and parts that I'm interested in. But now we're seeing each scene. What is the participation of Ariel? Mm. And when Ariel is not there, where would Ariel be? Usually, Ariel they are. Uh, going to places because right. Prosper is always ordering them what to do, and so it's very interesting. It's like the somehow like the behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, it's like okay, Prospero is there giving the orders, but then it's Ariel that is performing the act, like bringing people together, producing music, produce being a harpy, producing the tempest. So it's a little bit about labor. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much this tension between I know that Ariel is very connected with the idea of the intellect but also is the one that is going all around the island performing all these tasks asking to get like for freedom is actually is the character that says okay it's it's already six o'clock there's a moment where they say that which is very funny like if it would be like a worker you know in the factory and say okay no but I need like another favor like says uh, Prospero no do and go okay okay but next time the freedom no like <laughs> And so we're working around all the errands. I like, can't. I just can't wait to see to, and to see your aerial purposefully striding from from one side yeah. of Portugal to the to the other. Yeah. Uh, well, so much fun talking with you, and I really enjoyed the movies. Thank you. Thank you. Matias Pinheiro is a screenwriter, director, and filmmaker born in Argentina and now based in New York. To date, he's produced six Shakespeare-adjacent films in a series he calls The Shakespeare Reads. The films are Rosalinda from 2010, Viola from 2012, The Princess of France from 2014, Hermia and Helena from 2016, Isabella from 2020, and the short film Sycorax from 2021. You can stream all of these films at Mubi, which you can reach at mubi.com. Or you can buy them on Blu-ray and DVD at the Cinema Guild's website, which is cinemaguild, one word, cinemaguild.com. Matthias also teaches filmmaking at Brooklyn's Pratt Institute and coordinates the filmmaking department at Elias Querejeta Film School in San Sebastian, Spain. Matthias Pinheiro was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Our podcast, To Play a Pleasant Comedy, was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer with help from Leonor Fernandez. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Evan Marquart at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California, and Josh Wilcox at Brooklyn Podcasting Studio in Brooklyn, New York. If you're a fan of Shakespeare Unlimited, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. Thanks for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.